Hey, everybody. The deadline to get your application in for the spring vintage of Village Global Accelerator is March 1st. Companies that have been through the accelerator have raised from some of the best venture funds in the world, like A16Z, Lux, Spark, Bessemer, Founders Fund, and many more. Learn more and apply at villageglobal.vc slash accelerator. Hey, everybody. It's Eric Torenberg, co-founder, partner of Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is Venture Stories, a podcast covering topics relating to tech and business with world-leading experts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Village Global's Venture Stories. I'm here today joined by a very special guest, Josh Clementi of Levels. Josh, welcome to the podcast. Eric, happy to be here. Okay, so Josh, by, by way of introduction, you're a co-founder of Levels. Uh, why don't you describe what Levels is and what is the story about how, how you came to how and why you came to start it? Yeah, so Levels is the bio wearable that tells you how your nutrition and lifestyle are affecting your health in real time. So we're bringing real time molecule sensing, in this case, glucose, which is one of the primary molecules that we get our energy from. And we're, we're measuring that with uh, wireless sensors that you wear on the body and then interpreting and providing insights based on it in real time in uh, a handset app. And so this all kind of started almost as like a patient zero experience for me. I, I was working at SpaceX on life support systems and became intensely interested in metabolism and physiology during my time there. I uh, just saw some really interesting research, was kind of surprised that I had never really heard much about the like sort of deep energy systems that, that we're all kind of interfacing with every day. We're manipulating them with the way we sleep, the way we eat, uh, the amount of stress we're dealing with. And yet I had never really thought about how I'm making these choices and what the implications are for me long-term. So I started to take interest in this, um, actually started pricking my finger a, a lot just to measure my blood sugar to see if there's anything interesting going on. Some of this was in an attempt to figure out why I was experiencing these like fatigue waves throughout the day. I was kind of just brushing them off as burnout and something I needed to push through, but I was, I was having lots of ups and downs. And ultimately I, I got a CGM after being turned down by my physician a few times. And I found out that I was either borderline pre-diabetic or, or fully pre-diabetic, depending on who you ask. And this is despite never having a weight issue, never having any blood test flagged, uh, being a CrossFit level one trainer at the time, now level two, uh, taking physical fitness very seriously and, and thinking I was doing everything right. And so this was like kind of the the third insult, which really kind of changed my life in a sense. And I, I chose to leave what I was doing at the time, leave mechanical engineering, change industries, and essentially start on this path of learning about metabolism physiology very meaningfully and teaming up with a really amazing group of people who are planning to reverse these trends of metabolic dysfunction with real-time data. Yeah, that, that's awesome. And, and, Talk about the, the, uh, the, the you, you mentioned that you were pre-diabetic. Talk about sort of the uh, rise of just diabetes in general. It, it's, can you talk more about how that's evolved over time in terms of yeah. why it's grown? Absolutely, yeah. So um, part of the process of realization for me was just like pulling the curtain off of these crazy statistics that I, I had never really heard about but blew my mind. And, and one of those is once I found out that I was in that like borderline range, I, I was thinking, oh, this must be really rare. It's crazy how I you know, I'd never thought that I would have this, this sort of like pre-diabetes situation going on. I wonder how many people are like me. turns out 
88% of U.S. adults are metabolically unhealthy, according to a study from two years ago, uh, University of North Carolina. 90 million or about 88 million U.S. adults are pre-diabetic and 84% of them don't know they are pre-diabetic. So it turns out I was actually in a pretty large group of people who are steadily trending towards this really uh, unfortunate and avoidable situation, which is type 2 diabetes, without having any idea. And the reason for that is that we don't pay attention to the markers of metabolic dysfunction until you've already broken. One specific example is when I wanted to measure my, my glucose in real time using a continuous glucose monitor, my doctor said, you don't need that, you're not diabetic. Now, the, the problem is that glucose dysfunction builds, it compounds over time. So choices are being made, which are causing systems like the glucose and insulin control loop, which we can get into more if you want, but basically it's just the way your hormones are able to break down your food. Those things break down slowly, but they break down steadily. And so if things don't change, if you don't make better decisions, you will continue to get worse. And if you have no idea that you're at any risk, unfortunately, we, we don't pay attention to it in, until you are in the diagnosed category. And at that point, there's a lot of downstream complications. And I mean, this is like higher risk of infertility, higher risk of stroke, of cardiovascular disease. Alzheimer's is actually being called type 3 diabetes because of how close the relationship is to type 2 and prediabetes. You know, it's this very wide range of complications that happen typically in, in correlation with what starts as preventable lifestyle choices that we're all making every day, but we're just making them blind. Yeah. And, and, and you mentioned we can go more into that loop uh, if, if we want. Can you, can you go more into it? Yeah. So uh, basically, we all get energy from one of two main systems. It's either from from fat or from sugar. Uh, basically, we call it, we should call the sugar that we can metabolize glucose. And so when you eat carbohydrates, those break down into your bloodstream uh, as glucose. And then a hormone insulin is released from the pancreas. And the insulin is kind of the key that allows your cells to open up, let glucose in, and then that glucose, that sugar is turned into energy inside the cell. Now, the problem is that if glucose is elevated very quickly into very high levels, insulin also has to correspondingly be released in, in high levels. And, and so those high concentrations of insulin, if that's repeated over and over again, they can lead to this numbing situation where essentially the cells stop responding to the signal of insulin. And this is really dangerous when you have high blood sugar um, and your, your body is trying to get that out of your, out of your bloodstream and into the tissues, but it can't because your cells are, are experiencing that insulin resistance. And it's that situation where you are insulin resistant with high glucose where we call that diabetes, but essentially all of the complications you're, uh, start to, to show up where that high glucose, which is very reactive, starts to really damage uh, all of the proteins and tissues in your body and things like retinopathy, you know, avoidable blindness, uh, unfortunately, all the way through to amputations, loss of taste, loss of touch, loss of sight, like all of these terrible complications of type 2 diabetes, which many of us don't think about and frankly, most of us won't experience, but uh, some degree of metabolic dysfunction touches almost everyone in this country right now. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, 88% of U.S. adults are metabolically unhealthy. And, and this shows up, you know, if anything from high blood pressure all the way through to those much, more much, much worse complications I just touched on. And that's due to this rampant uh, and unfortunately hidden breakdown of the glucose insulin feedback loop. T totally. Why don't we talk about uh, how you thought about 
just what's the, the big vision for, for, for levels and, and sort of how you thought about wedging your, your way up to it? Yeah. I mean, uh, essentially we, we've got this wearable trend where, um, and really the decentralization of health and wellness where, uh, you know, everything from Fitbit, Peloton, Whoop, Aura, you, you've kind of seen these movements coming in waves as people essentially want to take their health and fitness into their own hands and they want it to be convenient. And they also want it to be uh, sort of effortless and behind the scenes in the sense like these devices are taking measurements all the time and then surfacing an insight. You know, I wake up in the morning, I turn on my Whoop or I open my Whoop app and I look at my recovery score and it's taking a huge amount of complex data, my heart rate variability, my heart rate through the night, how much strain I took on. Uh, and then it's just giving me one score and saying, here's how well you slept. Here's how well you recovered, essentially. And that's really insightful. It helps me basically stick to patterns of behavior that improve my sleep. Now, what's missing is that uh, we don't have anything like that for nutrition. So, you know, every single day we're going to sit down and we're going to eat something for lunch. And, you know, if I ask someone, what are you going to eat for lunch and why? Nine times out of 10, I get a blank stare. I'm going to eat something that tastes good or something that someone recommended to me on the internet, or, or I don't know, something my mom used to cook for me. There, there's just all of a sudden we get like this empty answer because none of us have feedback loops for what we're eating. And we are what we eat truly. We break down the foods that we, that we eat, we turn them into energy and we build new tissues from them. And it's critically important that what we're eating and why can be answered with data. And, and so, especially in this situation when there's an epidemic of metabolic dysfunction, we, we've got to take it in our own hands to close the loop between the actions we're taking and the reactions our bodies are experiencing. And so the vision for levels is that we can reverse these monumental trends in metabolic dysfunction by not you know, solving the problem at a social scale with some sort of policy or a one-size-fits-all diet, but just giving the individual better information at the moment that they need it to, to guide decisions and then doing that across many, many people. And, you know, you do that across enough people and you have social scale change where everyone's making data driven choices. They have confidence in the nutrition choices they're making and they can start to guide in, in a direction rather than having no idea where they are and where they're heading. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good context. Why don't we talk about just at a high level, like my understanding of our, our uh, knowledge of, of nutrition over the past few decades has been pretty suspect in that we thought we knew more than we did or that, you know, the, the food pyramid itself was, was poorly uh, designed or, or framed. Why don't you talk about sort of the, the, the history of, of how much do we actually know about what people should be eating um, and how that's evolved uh, over time and where are we right now in terms of how confident are we in, in just the science of nutrition? It's really, really tricky to study nutrition effectively. You know, most of the studies that end up getting published um, they get reduced down to a single headline. It's like eggs are good now. Eggs are eggs are bad again. You know, it, it, that's what we're all kind of used to. And what those headlines are contingent on are typically epidemiology studies where people are asked to fill out surveys, and they, the survey just asks you how how often you eat a certain food, and that goes on for a long time. And they measure outcomes, and they just see who has a higher likelihood of certain events based on these survey responses. So there's, it's actually not a controlled trial where you are connecting cause and effect. And the problem with that is that uh, these are very easy to, to become, I think, interest-oriented. And so you end up with science that is, it, it's kind of trying to prove a point. It, they're setting out to, to, with an agenda, I think, in some cases. And it's unfortunate because you can get data 
that is published and shows any perspective you want. And what this has led to, and, and there have been there have been consumer studies that show that 60% of people completely ignore nutrition studies because they're so contradictory. Uh, you know, when you can find two papers published within a month of each other that say the exact opposite thing, people just lose hope. They throw their hands up. And so, you know, I think there are some really obvious themes that are arising. And, and one of them is that processing of foods and added sugar are ultimately at the root of essentially all metabolic dysfunction we have. That, you know, there are certainly bad fats and, and trans fats and oils and things that have kind of been vilified a bit more, but are also certainly something we should avoid. But in general, I think that the the amount of sugar consumption we have in this country, especially, you know, earlier and earlier in life uh, is really dangerous. And it's leading to a situation where we're basically, we're dealing with energy toxicity. Like we're constantly eating very, very high energy foods that break down quickly into our bloodstreams. And yet the workforce is moving more and more towards sedentary work where we're at desks, we're not moving very often. And so we're not using that. We're not burning that fuel and you end up with a surplus. Your bloodstream is constantly jam-packed with, with that glucose and you end up creating that mechanism we talk, talked about of insulin numbness, insulin resistance. And ultimately, I think those are kind of big themes that we're seeing. Now, there's a ton of personal variability, like which foods are going to break down how quickly in whom. That's the degree of data that I think we can get to now with individualized measurement. So eventually, we'll be able to say, you know, for, for, for me, I may have a really major response to something like oatmeal, um, which I do. But for other people, uh, like David on my team, you know, he can eat oatmeal and have a much better uh, metabolic response. His, his body can can uh, break that down and use it effectively and much more quickly than I can. And so that's the degree of personalization we can get to, where you can really craft like a personally uh, specific diet and lifestyle that works for you. Totally. So, what do you think we st still don't yet understand within the science and, and need to? Uh, like if we're having this conversation 10 years from now, how might our scientific understanding be, be very different? What do you expect to be different? Well, I think some of the big things are understanding how different phenotypes, so like different types of, of people, like you can basically categorize people based on their like affinity to gaining weight, for example. And then there, there are all these other, you know, similar relationships that are showing up. And, and of course, this is anecdotal. This is just me kind of saying what, what we're seeing. But I think we're going to learn a lot more about this is those phenotypes, like the person who gains weight will often have a very different blood sugar and insulin profile than someone who uh, is very, very lean and almost can't gain weight. And you know, we, we kind of always hear this in, in societies, like some people are, have tried a diet and they just can never lose weight. They've tried everything. Other people, um, you know, just are, we're, we're all envious because they're just constantly shedding weight. They're always so skinny. Well, those are very real phenotypes. And so to look at those people and see what's actually happening behind the scenes, what, what's happening in their bodies, that hormone mechanism that is cranking out insulin, uh, the, the mechanisms that are putting out cortisol, the stress hormones, uh, what are they eating and how are they sort of, what are the long-term outcomes? It's really important that we get granular data on that and that those people are eating and living lifestyles that are supporting the better outcome. And uh, my point in all this is that there, there are some early research uh, results that have been published. There's a really interesting one from 2015. It was called the Weizmann Institute trial, the personalized nutrition trial. And they put continuous glucose monitors on 800 people who did not have diabetes. And they basically showed that two people 
can eat the exact same two foods. In this case, it was a banana and a cookie made with wheat flour, and they can have equal and opposite blood sugar responses. And that's the degree of variability that is out there. And so what I'm interested in and what I'm really excited to learn is why that is the case and what the long-term implications of that are. Meaning, uh, is it really true that there could be dietary decisions that are ultimately opposite each other that are healthy for two different individuals? And, you know, I I think, as I mentioned earlier, I I don't think that we're going to be like eating granulated sugar really at all in the future because we're going to learn just how energy toxic that food is. But I do think that specifically like fruits versus grains and the, you know, the degree of animal protein and uh, the degree of starch that we eat, all of that can be uh, really broken down and turned into a a very, very specific and personal lifestyle choice. And and so I think we're going to get to that point where you you kind of know the category of metabolizer you are uh, based on a, a ton of data that you've developed over long periods of time. And you'll be making really optimal choices guided by that data. Yeah, that, that, that's helpful. Uh, what about, can you talk a bit about the, the debates? Like if, if a few nutritionists were, were on or, or nutrition science ex- experts were on this podcast, what are sort of the key arguments that we're still um, having with, within the industry or just still trying to, to figure out? Well, there's a ton of different perspectives. And I think one of the issues is that a lot of the nutrition conversation is like, it's very polarized and people bring, I, I think, an emotional perspective to, to food. So you have all, almost like different sects that are each like, you know, you have people who are carnivore and you have people who are keto and people who are, you know, they almost have labels, you know, and I think that's one of the big things is like trying to solve the philosophy for everyone with one shot. And and that I, I just personally disagree with. And I think at levels we've shown that, that there really is, does not seem to be a one size fits all approach. So I think that's a really big issue is that we, we have to, we have to get rid of these labels and these like large generalizations on how everyone should eat and instead look to the data and try to refine it into the, the most effective and sort of targeted set of information that can be delivered to the person who, who just wants to be healthier. Another one is the like, I think very simplified uh, mainstream perspective on calories. So, you know, we, we kind of always think about calories as the unit of metabolism or like the thing that you have to change if you want to gain or lose weight. And although that's like thermodynamically, that is correct, that the food you eat has these energy uh, units of calories and, and how your body uses those. Like if you burn more than you consume, you should lose weight. Uh, if you eat more than you, than you burn, you should, you should gain weight. You know, that's, that is true. But the thing is, is that we're much more complicated We're you know, the human body is like a, it's a giant wet chemistry set where everything is, you know, chemicals being like mixed together and responding to other chemicals. And so if a person's body is like, if you've biased in one direction, meaning you have more of a certain chemical in your body at all times than another, that will change how available uh, your energy is or where it is sort of sent. So some people are pretty clearly biased towards gaining weight. Uh, they may have more insulin at all times. And so they should make different decisions about calories than people who do not have that situation. And, and like, I think it's really important that we be more specific and tell people that, it, you know, for those of you that have been struggling for a long time counting calories, it may be that the foods you're eating 
are inducing a hormonal response that is fighting against you. And it, it really does not just come down to a very basic three-term equation on a piece of paper. You know, human beings are much more complex than that. And, you know, as much as I like the elegance of it, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't work out for, for many people out there. And, uh, you know, ultimately the, the implications of what we eat is much more complicated. That makes sense. So maybe let's focus a bit more on, 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 on levels specifically. What, what can we expect? Uh, what sort of, uh, what's, what's upcoming? Uh, uh, share more about, pull behind, take us behind the curtain a bit. Yeah. So uh, right now, you know, we're in a super exciting phase of the company. We've, we have been in development for about a year now on the, the main product. So on the, the software and, and ultimately like what the levels product is, is you wear this continuous glucose monitor. So it's a, it's a wireless little patch that you put on your arm and that is sensing glucose molecules in your skin. And then that sends the data wirelessly to your phone. And so levels is building the insights platform on top of that CGM data. So we're pulling in that raw data. We're analyzing a a huge number of metrics about it. And then we're spitting out these uh, simple scores that you can use to make better choices. And so like, for example, you'll eat a meal. um, You log that in the app by taking a picture, type in a few words, and then we, we watch how your body responds to that meal over the next two hours effectively. And we look at how your, your glucose control plays out. And then we give you a score for that meal. And then you could eat, you could eat that meal again, say the next day and make a different decision. So perhaps the first time you ate it, you ate ate the meal and then you sat on the couch and and watched TV or did email. Um, You'll get a score for that. And then the next day you eat the meal again, and, and maybe you go for a walk for 20 or 30 minutes. So we will look at the two differences or those two responses, and we'll be able to compare them and show you how different decisions you make compound together. And so that walk can completely change the way your body is able to metabolize the food you ate. And that shows up very straightforwardly in, in some of the features of the app. And so the entire goal is that we are connecting little micro optimizations. Um, you know, we're kind of giving you the receipts for them and you can over time start to see specifically how, you know, the levers of nutrition, exercise, sleep, and stress management actually affect your body's metabolic control. And, um, and so we've been in development for going on a year or a little over a year now and, uh, invitation only, you know, we haven't, we, we have a very limited capacity because we really are optimizing for customer feedback. And so I'm, I'm very excited this year. We're trending towards our, our full launch when people will be able to get access to this at a, a wider scale and, um, you know, growing the team and, and taking on our, our very first research initiatives, which uh, I'm super stoked for. That's awesome. Well, that, that's a good place to, uh, to, to close. For people who, are, um, who have been excited by this conversation and, and want to get deeper into, uh, into, into levels, where can you point them in any last words of, uh, of encouragement and how to use it well and, and get the most out of it? Yeah, definitely. Um, so you can go to the, the website levelshealth.com and our blog is on there. And you know, that, that's where we are working to explain how metabolism touches all of us. You know, it's kind of an abstract word. We don't use it a lot in the mainstream, but it is the way our bodies are functioning every single day. It underlies physical health and mental health. And so, um, you know, definitely check out the blog, see how uh, these, these mechanisms are, are working for you. And then, you know, when it comes to seeing how people are using the Levels program, you can follow us on, on Instagram and Twitter at Levels. And there's a lot of really interesting beta use cases that are that are showing up there. A lot of people sharing their, their lessons learned. And so, yeah, definitely follow along there. And I'm looking forward to getting this sort of out there and increasing accessibility as soon as possible. 
Yeah, and I um it, to, to prep for this, I was listening to a few other podcasts you, you've done and and, and and reading the blog. Uh, and I just say that to the listeners that uh, if you're curious about what you heard here, you, you guys have done a phenomenal job on on content more generally educating uh, the, uh, the 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 public at large about 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 these topics. So I recommend you uh, you dig into a lot of the great content you guys have on your blog and and in the podcast sphere more more broadly. Yeah, awesome. Um, you know, my co-founder Casey, she's a Stanford trained surgeon and functional medicine doctor, and she and I have been doing a lot of podcasts and she does an exceptional job of breaking down the, uh, you know, the deeper mechanisms of biochemistry. And, and then obviously, you know, we're just raising awareness of metabolic health and metabolic fitness, which is this concept that we're bringing, which that, you know, metabolic health is not binary. You, you are not either healthy or unhealthy. It's just like physical fitness. You go to the gym, you work hard, you put in focus, effort, and repetition to improve your strength. That's the same with metabolism and you can improve these things over time. And, and so it's, it's just fun to get that message out there and, um, give people that power, you know, the understanding that you can take health into your own hands and, and data helps there. Yeah, that's a, that's a great place to close it. But I'd be remiss if I didn't also mention that uh, a couple of the co-founders also met at uh, d- during the on deck program, uh, and we're we're very fortunate to uh, to have that as a success story. Absolutely, yeah, Sam and Andrew, I, yeah. I love that story. Awesome, Josh. Thanks so much for for coming on the podcast. It, it's been a great episode. Thank you, Eric. If you're an early stage entrepreneur, we'd love to hear from you. Check us out at villageglobal.vc.